Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland, episode 91, Mr. Klopp. Mm-hmm. What a pleasure it is to speak to you. It's been weeks. I've been yeah. on location, many different locations, but I'm back. First of all, hats off to you and Sherry for doing a <laughs> heck of a job. I'll be honest with you. I listened to the episode, and I might get cut out. I don't blame no, you. No, I don't know. I sounded really good. And thank you. Conversations to talk about wedding stuff. And yeah, that is one of the top memories I have with a wedding, taking pictures with those disposable cameras <laughs> at that other venue. That is one of the <laughs> achievements of my life. I'm not going to lie. That was one of the funniest oh, things God. I've ever came up with. Oh, so. I wish I had a recording of the phone call that I got. <laughs> what is this? Just classic. Oh, yeah. Just classic. Well, well, I'm curious. You know, you got married. You have a little. You have a uh, the post wedding glow about you. I can see that. Sure. Um, are there any? I will tell you that from a, an attendee perspective at your wedding, it didn't seem as though there was any anything that went awry or any any odd things, humorous things that happened. But uh, from your perspective, uh, how'd it go? I think it went as planned, and that's all you can ask for. Wow. Being that it's a second wedding for both of us, yeah. um, we certainly kind of knew that if things go on or things happen, we're just going to move on and, and deal with it. And that's kind of what happened. We had no issues with the food. The venue for City Brewery was awesome. The food from Woodstock was awesome. Cookie and a Cupcake, who did our cupcakes for us, was awesome. I have probably one humorous story that okay. you probably don't know about. So before yeah. the wedding... Um, a bunch of people stayed at our house here, Ewan's family, which was really cool. And she's got two cousins along with my kids that I decided I'm going to drive them to the wedding itself in the morning. And our wedding was at one. So I drove them at, I think it was 12, 15 and their job along with my two little nephews that came from Seattle was to pass out programs. That's what they're going to do. So I, I turned into a dad, as you can do. Okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to stand here and you're going to do this and you're going to hand this out. And then when people come, you hand it to them. Game plan. Adorable. They all did it. But when the people came in, they said, would you like a form? Would you like a form? (laughs) It was (laughs) it was really funny. IRS form ninety nine ten here. Yes. The funniest part. So before the wedding, it was really cool. So um uh, one of the readers, Julie Forgosh, was there with her family ahead of time. A very special connection with them. My mm-hmm. brother and his wife were there. We're on the parking lot of St. Uh, Bernadette's. The lady that was doing the singing for us comes in, and she's going to get the church ready and all that stuff. And so we're standing there, and I look at my brother's suit. I'm like, wow, that's that's really nice. He's like, yeah, your suit is pretty cool, too. So we both continue to look at our suits, and we realize, wow, these kind of look very similar. Oh, so no. he opens his jacket pocket. Ted, we were wearing the same suit, <laughs> the exact same suit, and but in different went. places. We had the same suit on. I, I just, wow. I thought I was going to pee my pants. I was laughing. What are the odds? Unbelievable. So, but no, the, the ceremony was great. Father Phil Rocca was outstanding. A very nice service. Um, your family dressed up really well. You guys look <laughs> great. Seriously, it was really cool. And uh, we took some pictures. Uh, hats off to. Longtime camera person who used to, well, continues to work for the Ashton Times Gazette. Yeah. My friend who did a great job, Tom Puskar, he was, he was great. I mean, Tom just had a great time. He just yep. kind of fit in there with everybody else. And it was wonderful. We dealt with no issues. 
That's and I guess the venue was making so much money for us that they decided to extend it for another hour. So that <laughs> that's a story for another day. But uh, that was cool. It was really nice. Yeah. And Sunday we just kind of relaxed and I had to return a couple things. And we went to Dave and Buster's with some family and just kind of hung out. It was great. It really was a really nice time. And then we had the honeymoon, which we'll certainly talk about during the out and about segment that we have. Yeah. Today. So, all right. Well, I'm glad to hear that uh, the things went off as planned. That's always good. Nobody, none of the uh, ladies in the uh, in the church uh, accidentally wore the same dress that Eowyn had. I'm guessing. No, no. Okay. I think we were good. On, we were okay. good on that. No. Just, just, just the men. Duplication. Yeah. Okay. Just the men doing that. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear uh, about uh, where all you went uh, on your honeymoon. We'll talk about that and out and about. We have a. An overachiever doing push-ups. We have good news about beer. Oh, Ken. good. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> we have 69-cent gas in Klops Clips. We'll also visit with Cleveland Metro Parks historian and archivist Judy McKeegan. And in our Cleveland history segment, we will learn about some number news involving the Cleveland Indians and something sports teams and fans probably take for granted today. And now, a woman's perspective. What do you instantly know about a well-dressed man? His wife is good at picking out clothes. This has been a woman's perspective. Time for another overachiever, Ted. You must have been lazy these past couple of weeks because you didn't make it again. But more than a couple. Australian Daniel Scally now owns two Guinness World Records. This one for push-ups in an hour. This is something uh-huh. both of us can really try, I guess. Uh, well, I can do a push-up in an hour. I could do maybe two. Yeah. But Daniel did three thousand one hundred eighty-two, breaking the previous mark by more than a hundred push-ups. Oh. Scally already owns the male record for longest time in the abdominal plank position. Oh. That's interesting. Yeah. So let me. So in one hour, this guy did three thousand one hundred eighty-two push-ups. Hold on, I'm going to get my calculator. Yeah, I, I need you to do some math for me. All right. I, so I never, three thousand one hundred eighty-two. Yep. Divided by sixty. Mm-hmm. That's fifty-three push-ups a minute. No, that's I nearly no one a second. Can't do it. No, not happening. Not happening at all. <clears throat> Scally noted that the push-up record was a tough one because of the pain caused by something called complex regional pain syndrome. Mm-hmm. He has had that since he broke his arm when he was 12. I think I have that. Every time I when I get home and my kids are arguing, it's complex regional pain. You start right throwing that out there in my head is where yep, I have regional pain syndrome. Regional pain syndrome. It. Well, hats off to Daniel. Three thousand one hundred eighty-two push-ups. See, I mean, if if we could ever have an overachiever, that is certainly one. Blah blah blah. 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 Today's guest joined the Cleveland Metro Parks in two thousand and ten. She was the lead author and content editor on the 100-Year Trail, a centennial celebration of Cleveland Metro Parks published in 2016. 
Our guest had the privilege of researching, sharing Cleveland Metro Parks and local history through a variety of talks and programs for park guests and community organizations. Today, we will get a great history lesson on the Cleveland Metro Parks. Let's talk with historian and archivist, Judy McKeegan. Judy, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Well, thank you for having me. This is this is really exciting. What fun is this going to be, right? So, Judy, I figure the best way to start is from the beginning. So I guess the first question I have, talk to us about how the Cleveland Metro Parks got started and a little bit of a small history lesson, if you could. Okay. So um, the Cleveland City Parks, which were uh, prominent in the late 1800s, early 1900s, very popular, of course, all around Cleveland. Um, unlike some other cities like, say, Central Park in New York, the Cleveland City Parks were a ring of parks around the city. They included Edgewater, uh, Garfield, Brookside, Gordon Park, um, Woodland Park, uh, Forest City. So uh, all of them kind of making a circle around the city itself rather than in the center of Cleveland. Um, there's lots of reasons for that, which we won't get into today, but uh, that was the situation when uh, a young man named uh, William Stinchcombe, who was a surveyor with the city and then became an engineer uh, for the city of Cleveland and then was tapped by Mayor Johnson, Mayor Tom Johnson, in the early 1900s, uh, 1901, 1902, uh, to become the city parks engineer. Um, supposedly, he looked at Tom Johnson and said, I don't know anything about parks. And Johnson said, good, you'll learn. Uh, but uh, and he did. He did learn very, very well uh, to all our advantages. Uh, he became um, interested. Uh, he, he was interested, of course, in the, the city parks and what they could be done to improve them along the way, as was his job. And in his 1905 report, he said, I think we should have an outer ring of parks, uh, which would basically then be encompass the county more than the city. But remember at the time, Cleveland was the fifth largest city in the country and probably about the 10th wealthiest. And there was no reason not to believe that that growth that that city would continue to grow outside of its bonds. There was even a time when they thought Akron and Cleveland would sort of become one huge metropolis. Um, there were several reasons why that didn't happen, but they didn't know that at the time. So he said, let's save some of the green space, especially around the really pretty valleys, uh, valleys of Rocky River, Chagrin River, Tinker's Creek, the lower or the upper Cuyahoga. Uh, the lower Cuyahoga was, of course, in the flats and already surrounded and in, in, inundated with industry. Uh, so let's, let's get this outer ring going and save some of the green space. It was land that wasn't great for agriculture, even though a lot of it still belonged to a lot of farms back then. So it was their bottom land. It tended to flood because it was by the water. Um, it also had a lot of rocky ravines in it, so not good for farming. Uh, not necessarily good for industry because of getting into these spots, but great spots to preserve as green space for people's recreational uses, uh, for people to go have a picnic in, and to put aside eventually what wildlife sanctuaries in. Uh, so that was his idea in 1905. It went through several iterations. It was going to be a county park. There's reasons why that didn't happen. Uh, mainly, they wanted a board of commissioners, which we have to this day, three people, to uh, oversee the parks, volunteer, you know, no pay, and to be appointed by the probate judge. 
all county officials in Ohio have to be elected. They did not want elected officials. One of the reasons being, if you have officials that think parks are a great idea, they're gonna take care of the parks. If you have people that parks don't mean anything to them, they're not. So they went down to Columbus, lobbied for legislature that created the ability for park districts in the state of Ohio. So we are chartered under this um, House Bill 183, which passed March 6, 1917. And on July 23rd, 1917, Cleveland became the first metropolitan park district in the state. Uh, by making it a district, you can keep it separate from city and county um, officials. We work with the city and the county, of course, a lot. Um, but as you may know, the Cleveland Metro Parks dips down into Medina County in our Hinckley Reservation. Uh, we, we scooch over the line into Lake County at our North Chagrin Reservation. And we can do this because a park district can be pretty much anything you want it to be or the taxpayers want it to be. Um, so that's how we were envisioned. Uh, 1917, we had a park board, but we had no land yet. 1919, bought our first little section of land in Rocky River Reservation, 3.4 acres, um, and then just started booming from then. By 1929, we had nine reservations uh, with over 9,000 acres of land. So that's like a decade from the beginning. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was, yeah, that, I don't know that we could do that nowadays, you know? I mean, it just, it boggles the mind. And then of course in 1930, little hiccup because the depression came in. Uh, so they decided to stop buying as much land and put all of their resources into uh, improving the land they had, adding uh, some more roads, adding comfort stations. You can imagine what a comfort station might be. Uh, we usually just call them restrooms today. Uh, picnic shelters and other places, but still trying to keep this park more natural than the, the original city parks. If you've ever seen old postcards of the ladies with their parasols and their white dresses strolling on manicured grounds, that was the city parks. The metro parks were designed uh, to be more natural. And I say metro parks, but had you, did you have a time, if you had a time machine and you went back in time to 1925 and you asked somebody where the nearest metro park is, they would look at you very funny because we were the metropolitan park district or metropolitan park system until 1975 when somebody got tired of writing that all the time and just shortened it to metro parks officially. I don't know if that's the real reason, but yeah, it makes sense to me, right? <laughs> All right. Well, the Cleveland Metro Parks was awarded the 2021 National Gold Medal Best in the Nation Award yes. for Excellence in Park and Recreation Management. So we'll ask quietly, what's the secret? Because it's probably a secret. What's the secret to the success of the Metro Parks? Um, I think if you ask our CEO, Brian Zimmerman, I think it's probably collaboration and connections. Uh, Brian is good at putting people in place that know their jobs and then having them do their jobs. Um, he's, he's excellent at that. And I think that he follows in a long line of directors. Uh, he is now our CEO. We changed the title uh, in uh, 2014, um, I believe it was. Maybe it was even 2012. Um, but before we've had executive directors, so uh, 
they they kind of changed to put it in line with other entities. But um, I would say that that has been from William Stinchcomb on because he became our first director. He was also our first volunteer. First four years he did, he was the consulting engineer pro bono. Um, and then he became the executive uh, of director of the park. And I think that has always been what they do. They find people that know their jobs. And we have, as you might imagine, hundreds of different jobs within the park system. Um, I am the only historian, uh, but we do have a couple of other historical cultural interpreters that work, and we all work with our naturalists, our outdoor education department to educate people about the park. Um, you know, of course, we have administrators, we have legal people, we have our wonderful maintenance people who are the boots on the ground. Uh, if you're ever out and about and you see one of them, thank them because they do hard, hard work and keep this park looking phenomenal. Um, and I, I'm very proud to call them my colleagues because I think they just do a wonderful job. Um, and again, that has been the focus from the very beginning. You get the people that know their stuff and, and then you let them do their jobs. So I, I think that's it. And then we work very well with other community organizations and entities, um, especially now that we, in 2014, when we got the lakefront, some of those old city parks that I was mentioning earlier, Edgewater, you know, um, well, Garfield became our park. Um, we work with the city on, on a lot of these uh, and with the other surrounding communities. We work with other partners. We work with the Canalway partners. We work um, with just a, a host. If I start naming them, I'm going to forget somebody and then I'm going to feel bad. Um, but we have always done this this connection to the community and um, that i think is also a big part of our success judy that's a great answer collaboration that's that's that is key and, and if you ask any successful business owner that is the key to everything now i want to go back a little bit once again we mentioned the beginning we, we did your intro you started with uh, certainly metro parks in 2010 and then you wrote this book and I, I'm, I'm very interested the 100 year trail a centennial celebration of cleveland metro parks Talk a little bit about putting this book together and maybe some of the research you had to do. Okay, so this book was labor of love and blood, sweat, and tears. Um, when Brian suggested we we do a book when we were coming up with ideas how to celebrate our 100th birthday, um, and he, we, we looked into maybe hiring an author, and finally Brian goes, why? Can't we do it in-house? You know, we, we know this is us. We know us, right? Um, so the, the process was... Um, of course, I'm the archivist, so I have access to a lot of our early correspondence, reports, um, uh, things like that, uh, that would help shape the at least the early part of the book, especially. Um, but uh, we also had many, many people who have organizational knowledge um, that have been here for a while. Some of them since that celebration have retired. Um, but we what we put out a call for authors and we said who wants to help write this book how can you contribute and then we we picked and chose several people and then we kind of divvied up we said okay you know this part of the park really well can you write us a little bit about what you think are the most what should we cover uh in this particular reservation uh, my original intent was maybe a tour of the parks, like starting on the west side, going to the east or vice versa. But Brian really wanted it to be more um, chronological. So we did the first section of the book are each decade, the beginnings, because it kind of started in 1905 with his idea 
um, up to when we first became a park system and then the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. So that's how the first section of the book is organized. I did most of that writing. Um, and uh, where what I don't have here in the archives, I filled in with a lot of newspaper articles mm. um, and uh, various uh, objects or objects of uh, various other research like that. Digit, the digital age is our friend when it comes to research because, <laughs> yes. you know, going through a newspaper even 20 years ago would meant cranking microfilm and knowing where you might find something. Now I can word search a lot of stuff and find some cool stories. So um, our old emerald necklaces, that was another place that I went to to get a lot of information and our naturalist reports from the early years. Uh, we happen to have a lot of good photographs from that era. Um, and so we included those. And then we did a section on each reservation because we wanted to highlight some of the particular history of some of the other reservations and the particular features of the, those reservations. Um, and that in particular is where we called on a lot of uh, other people to help. And uh, then all throughout the book, we have what we call a closer look. And uh, it's just like um, uh, I can't even think one off the top of my head, of course, now, a closer look at our nature, our outdoor education, our early trailside museums, um, some of the features of Henry Church Rock and South Chagrin. So those are scattered throughout the book. And um, then we turned it all over after we wrote all the words and edited those, and they went through several people editing. Um, we turned all those over with the photographs to our designer, Sal Perconte, who is amazing. And uh, Sal went to work putting this book together and making it the visual piece of art that it is. Um, I can brag about that because I take no credit for the, the design that was, that was our, our design team. We have our own uh, creative services division and um, Sal just did a phenomenal job. And then for the modern photographs, we, our photographer, Kyle Lanzer went out and took beautiful photographs. Um, and so we all put this together and um, then we were able to print it not in-house because we don't have the capability to print a book, but we were able to go to Lake Erie Printing, which is a printing company here in Cleveland that's been family owned and operated since 1930. They are almost as old as we are. So we were happy to use them. And the only thing we had to outsource out of Ohio was the book binding. Um, and that went to Rochester, New York. So not too far away. Uh, so it is very much a homegrown product and we're so proud of it. Um, and uh, you know it is still available on Amazon and at our book, uh, our uh, our gift shops in our nature centers. Awesome. Well, uh, are there any uh, special events that you want to highlight? And where can people find out more about what's happening at the Metro Parks? Sure. So our Emerald Necklace uh, newsletter, which comes out once a month, uh, you can get on a mailing list for that, uh, or you can pick it up at any of our uh, uh, nature centers. And also, I, I believe, probably at the zoo, um, in, at the entrance to the zoo there. Um, that gives a truncated version of what's going on. Um, we had to, as you might imagine, in 2020, kind of turn on a dime and, and figure out some new ways of doing things. Uh, and one of those was to streamline the emerald necklace so that we can keep up with it if, because things change so quickly anymore. Uh, but then you can go to our website, clevelandmetroparks.com, and you can there's a calendar there. You can click on any day and say, hey, I've got some time on May 25th. What can I do in the parks? And you can click on that and come up with all the 
the things going on that day. Uh, if you're interested in particular items, you can word search them. You can look at each park and see what's going on. We have hikes and programs pretty much going on all the time. Um, I do, and this was new for me in 2020, I started doing history hikes. I have always done programs where I am in front of you with my PowerPoint and my lovely old photographs, um, but we couldn't do that for a while. So I now do hikes. In fact, I have one coming up this Saturday at our Euclid Creek Reservation called Snolly Goster's Nuns and Popcorn. And it's at four o'clock. And if you want to find out more about what the heck those things are and what they have to do with each other, you can come join me at four o'clock at our um, Wildwood Marina out at our Euclid Creek Reservation on the beach there. Um, so that is the place to find out um, our website. And uh, there's always something going on. And uh, we do all kinds of things. Like I said, my history hikes have been so much fun. I try to do a full moon hike every other month, maybe, maybe not every month, um, where we walk along the canal under a full moon, and hopefully it doesn't rain, uh, like it has the last two times it rained on us, but we walked anyway. Um, we just didn't see the moon. Uh, doing some history. Um, I will be involved in the Cleveland History Days, doing a couple different programs for that. So check that out on their website. Um, but yeah, always, always something going on, whether you love birds, uh, whether you like to fish, whether you want to try kayaking, whether you want to learn about history, we've got, we've got you covered. Awesome. All right, Judy. Well, we appreciate your time. Thanks very much for uh, the 411 on the Metro Parks. Thank you. Thank you. This has been lots of fun. Miss Speak of the Week now, Ken, the NHL into the Stanley Cup Finals. But we need to go back to the Western Conference Finals with the Colorado Avalanche and the Edmonton Oilers. Television NHL rules analyst Don Koharski, who I believe is a former referee, was looking at the potential game-winning goal in uh, one of the games, I think it was game six, on replay during the TNT broadcast of the game. He was trying to help discern whether the goal should count because of a possible high stick. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I'm with Jonesy 100% here, guys. This because he picks up the from the high stick or potential high stick and picks it up himself. It has to be above the shoulder. Oh. Puck on the stick above the shoulder. Holy shit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Holy that's a tough one. Just sucks. That's going to be. That's close. Shucks. Holy shucks. Yeah. Holy shucks. <laughs> oh, my. They didn't get that one bleeped, I guess. Him saying that or the other guys just, just no, nobody tries to help him cover. They just laugh. I mean, what else are you going to do? That's hockey. That's how those folks are. Well, their goal was ruled good. The Avs won that game 6-5 to five and eventually advanced to the Stanley Cup Finals. They are now playing the Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh. Holy shucks, Ken. <laughs> That's that is great stuff. Yep. Sometimes you just can't hit that bleep button. It just doesn't happen. You know, the guys in the truck weren't ready for that. Holy yeah. shucks. Holy shucks. Cleveland! This is for you. Time for another Cleveland sports history lesson. And Ken, this is an important date. And not just because of this sports history lesson, because it falls. 
on my wife's birthday. Oh, so, perfect. You know, we, uh, she's 29. It's great. And yep. uh, I'm sure she'll appreciate that. June 26th, 1916. She was uh, far from anything at that point, but the Cleveland Indians were not. They became the first team in baseball history to experiment with putting numbers on jerseys. Wow. I guess up to that point, we hadn't had any way to identify the players, but our, our Cleveland sports historian, Dusty Sloan is with us and Dusty, what can you tell about the, tell us about this, this crazy idea. How dare you muck up the uniform with a number? Well, I will say that being an, a director of athletic communications at a college, I appreciate that because <laughs> I, I wouldn't know who was playing if, if that wasn't the case. But yeah. according to the story from Channel 3 that I'm looking at here, the general manager, Bob McRoy, modeled the idea after jockeys and horse racing. Huh. So he put the numbers on the sleeves of the fans, and obviously the statisticians would know who's batting and who's playing. I can't imagine how you kept track of people before 1916. So that's a... Very interesting development. As they say, the rest is history. No huh. doubt. But it's, it's so interesting. And I, Ted and I talked to a gentleman by the name of John Grabowski. Where we find out all this different information about uh, Cleveland facilities and, and the history of them and all that stuff. But I, I had no idea once we're doing this here that, you know, once again, another history lesson for us that, you know, for the first time, the numbers are being put on jerseys and it has to do with the Cleveland team. That, that to me is amazing. You know, I, I just, I, I don't, I was, I was floored by that. Now this team at this time, and, and Ted, correct me if I'm wrong. They were playing at league park. Were they not? Uh, in 1916. Uh, I, Close. Oh Don't know. Well, yes, they were at league park. Yep. Okay. There you go. Well, wow. Why are you asking me? Dusty's the expert. I just like to keep you on your toes. You know, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, Dusty, do you know anything about the team at that time or anything like that about the squad? I mean, obviously probably, they didn't know how much of a historic time it would be to put numbers on their jerseys. But do you know anything about the squad at that time when they were playing? Well, the squad at that time, you'll, you'll, you guys will appreciate this, finished exactly at 500. 77, 77, and three ties. Uh, very three ties. Wow, there was yes. no extra innings. Okay, interesting. So not they had Ray Chapman, the famous third baseman, of course, Tris Speaker in the outfield. So they did have some quality players at that time the pitching staff wasn't bad but then again as you know if you look at these eras nobody scored back then so it's kind of hard to the the staff ace was jim bagby who finished 16 and 17 with an era of 261 so it's kind of hard to figure out who was good and who wasn't because nobody scored hmm. it's a problem well, yeah that's uh i guess when you don't have you know it it's easier that way <laughs> <laughs> That's why they didn't need any numbers. They didn't need the numbers back then. That's right. You know, just to heck with the numbers. Well, Dusty, uh, I'm glad for your sake and uh, for Ken and my sake, uh, when we used to call games that, uh, that the Indians were uh, innovators and uh, brought this to fruition. Cause I know what we, what would we talk about? Oh, the guy with the red uh, stripes on his sneakers just passed and the kid with the, uh, the, the Nike swoosh. And he made the basket. There you go. That's that's what your play-by-play -play might sound like today. Well, oh, ahead of their boy. time 106 years ago, yes. Yes. All right, Dusty. Well, thank you. Thanks, guys. Cleveland! This is for you!
Ted, we were out and about, and I'm going to be honest with you, it was a lot. Yeah. I had to condense this for you because I think we could do an hour on this. This is the honeymoon out and about. This is honeymoon out and about, and then I have a couple Ohio visits that we had just when we came back. But okay. uh, Ted, as you know, the big things for me in my life are eating, drinking, and yep. playing golf. Uh-huh. Now, I hopefully everyone understands there for our honeymoon. I ate, I drank, and we did play golf. So it's not <laughs> like anything was new. We did do it in a different area. Okay. So very quickly, we started in Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. We went to a place called Founders, which is very, very good. They're known for their really good stouts. We actually went to that brewery. That was one of the things I've always wanted to do. And then during that time, while we were there, we played actually, don't get mad at me. We played at the Grand Valley State University Golf Course, which is the oh. big rival for Ashton University. Yeah. I will say okay. it is beautiful. Yep. Okay. I, if I was a student there, I would never go to school because if you're a student, it's $20 with a cart to play 18 holes. Oh my. Anytime you want. Holy cow. Yeah. I would never, Woo. I would never go to class. So super nice people treated us very nice. Luckily, you know, there wasn't a lot of people because we played on a Tuesday. So it was very cool. After that, we went to Traverse city, which is a beautiful town. We first stopped at the, and this is a place you might want to go with your family, the Sleeping Bear Dunes, which is a national park, which is basically all these different sand dunes with sand that looks like something that came out of your um, play sand set. I mean, it is total granular, very, very nice. I mean, and it's huge. It's like a mile and a half walk to go up these different dunes. So we did some of that. That was cool. Went to a couple of bars and restaurants in the area, as you can imagine. Then we played golf at this place called Grand Traverse. Uh, Spruce run a very nice course. We had a very nice time. We then moved a little bit more north to a town called Charlevoix, where it was very, very neat. Small town reminded me of maybe a Hudson type of situation or even like Medina. Just a lot of different shops and restaurants and all that kind of stuff. But they have something and you need to look this up. Mushroom houses. There's a very famous architect that lived there and he created these mushroom houses. Okay. At first, I'm like, what am I doing? Because we paid 20 bucks for this tour. I'm like, why would we do this? It's pretty cool. I, I'm not going to lie. The, what this guy designed and all the different places he did around the town there is pretty neat. He basically took large boulders from, I believe it was Lake Huron, pulled them out and then made houses out of them. So think about oh. that. Wow. Yeah. And we're not talking about last year. This is back in the early 1900s. So wow. Pretty, pretty cool. We then went to Mackinac Island, which is right near Mackinac City. Mackinac Island, you cannot have a car there. So we had to take a ferry from Mackinac City to get there. Very cool. We played. We stayed at this place called the Grand Hotel. Very famous. There's a movie that was filmed there, things of that sort. The island itself is cool. I could not live there. So <laughs> there is more horses on the island than people. 600 horses, 438 residents. And by the way, there's 69 kids that go to school there from kindergarten through high school. They have nine teachers, one school. I want you to think about that. Yes. But it's cool. I mean, it's really nice. So much different. You have to, your concern is that you have to make sure you don't get run over by a horse (laughs) and you don't step in the horse crap. That's the biggest thing. It's all over the place. And the place smells like fudge. There's a ton of state parks to walk around. It's very cool. Um, once we left the island, obviously we ate and drank there, of course. Went to Frankenmuth. <laughs> have you been to Frankenmuth? I think no, you have. but my wife talks about it. And I, well, uh, if you go, yeah, 
Holy cow, they have the world's largest Christmas store in Bronner's. You you might be there for six weeks. I'm not I, gonna lie. It is I, it's pretty intimidating. <laughs> we'd have nowhere to move in our house. No. It is unbelievable. I highly recommend that. And then we went to the oldest brewery in Michigan called Frankenbooth Brewery. It opened in 1862. Mm. Very cool. And then we went to other a couple other places for just some lunch. And then we finished our honeymoon, which people made fun of us for in Detroit, <laughs> Michigan. We got made fun of. I get it. You hear Detroit like, oh, there are some really cool places, which we knew about going into it that we stopped at. So there's a place called the Skip, which is a tiki bar, not too far from Ford Field. Another place called the Sugar House, which is a craft cocktail place, which is absolutely outstanding. And then Awen found a really cool restaurant that we actually stopped at called Prime and Proper, where we had a real nice meal and things like that. So we, we did that. And the part that was nice is when we left the day after, it only took us two hours to get home. And by the way, I think total for the whole vacation, I walked along with Awen over 100,000 steps. <laughs> yes. Wow. We were doing about 20,000 steps a day just through Metro wow. Park and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was pretty good. So it was fun. Okay. And then obviously through golf and all that. So Well, of course. Who won now the we'll golf? What's that? Who won the golf? Well, I won the <laughs> golf, but Awen's playing much better. I mean, one of the rounds, she almost broke 100. So she's playing She's playing much better. We're, we're figuring that whole thing out. Now, I saw on Facebook a picture of a ridiculously gigantic uh, uh, seafood. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. That was the seafood platter that we had that at Prime and Proper. Yeah, those, that was those. There was nothing shrimpy about the shrimp. That no, that was that was full gluttony. I'm not going to lie. We were, you know, we saw that. I'm like, yeah, let's get that. And then okay. then we ended up getting a meal after that. And oh, that was the, <laughs> that was safe for the next day. I'm not going to yeah. lie. There's I can't eat like that. OK, so a couple other quick places. When we got back, we had, you know, obviously more time to go out and about. Couple of cool places I think everyone should check out Herb and Twine Sandwich Company in Lorraine. Ooh. Very good place. Their, their sandwiches are really, really good. Platform Beer Company, which I think many people know that that's owned by Budweiser now. That's in Lorraine. We had a quick stop there. Brew Dog, um, which is actually in the flats. So awesome. new brewery. Uh, they took over an old building. Very nice. Very, very cool. We did some uh, samples there. Happy Dog on Detroit Avenue. I think you're very familiar with that. I think yep. you've been there before. This is going to bring back a lot of memories for you when I say this name. Shooters. Oh, Shooters God. in the flats. Oh, we celebrated their 35th anniversary. We went there on a Saturday. Ooh. It was a blast. And I oh, could sit there man. and watch people from here to Timbuktu. It was awesome. I mean, you yeah. talk about diversity and just people having a great time. It was awesome. But man, People dressed up to the tees. It was cool. Yeah, it was fun. And then we finished the day. This is a place everyone needs to check out. It's right down the street from Happy Dog. It's called the Ninja City Kitchen and Bar on Detroit Avenue. They have very good craft cocktails. We actually found out about them. They had a stand at the NFL draft. So Awen went there, had some of their food, and she she's very particular. I mean, she knows food very well and she's just not going to eat anything. She's like, wow, this is really good. I want to check this out. So we went the time we went, it just opened. So there wasn't a ton of people there, but the decor inside is, is neat. Their menu is a comic book. <laughs> just think about that. All every, it's like you're reading one comic book and they have the food and the beverage in there. It is really cool. We stay there for a couple hours and then we were done. So 
that's my out and about, Ted. I got the combination of Michigan. I hope many people don't hold it against me. I know they're, they're <laughs> their rivalry. But then we have Ohio. I mean, there are so many places to be out and about. You need to get out there. How about you? I have to throw it to you. Did you well you been out and about? I think we, you mentioned something uh, about Chardon or something like that. I um <clears throat> I golfed on uh, Father's Day in a manner. You golfed. Well, uh, if we can amend the definition of golf to include putt putt, that, that's yes. that's very close. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I I won. Okay, I was just going to ask how that Me, went. Did you? My win? wife, two cousins, and uh, or niece, nephew, and uh, uh, my three boys. Nice. And I shot a thirty nine. <laughs> that's impressive. That really is pretty good. Uh, my uh, one, my ne- nephew uh, kept score. Oh, He's very cool. Pretty, uh, so it's yeah. legit. It's not like oh, you just yeah. made it up. I, nice. I, I usually have to keep the score, but he's very rule oriented and, you know, very detailed. I said, Hey, you want to keep score? He took the scorecard and I was like, Oh, this is great. Just, just let play. me know what I need to Just let me know what I need to play. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so we were, we were there. Um, I don't think where else have we been? Uh, I mean, we've been to the cheesecake factory. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think of other unique places. Not, we don't do a lot of unique. We need to, hopefully as the kids get older, we'll be able to do that. Did you take in a baseball game somewhere? Oh gosh. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. We You're went welcome. to the Lake County captains game. Uh, that was um, so Friday I had put on our calendar. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bury somebody here for a second. But, oh, good. I like this. Yeah. So the Cleveland Monsters have their uh, street party thing. Yes. Actually, let me uh, let me call this up here. Uh, Monsters Street Party 2022. Let me see if I can find this here. Uh, let's put Cleveland at the front of that. Um, summer tour appearances. Here we go. Okay. Summer tour. Here it is. Uh, 20 stops. This fan interactive hockey tour will include the monsters ski puck game, temporary tattoos, eye black giveaways, photo opportunities with special appearances from the monsters mascot, Sully. And nice. so, you know, I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, my, particularly my oldest son loves Sully. Oh, this is going to be great. We're going to go. So we go to, uh, the uh, Van Aken area for this uh, event. And there were, there was other um, it's like, I think it's a weekly thing and they just have different vendors who come. Okay. We find the tent with the, the monsters thing. And there's the ski puck game next to it. And there's like three people hanging out and some guy in the tent and I'm looking around and temporary tattoos I black, you know, any, Sully. Yep. Nothing, yep. N- got nothing. And so my kids do the ski puck thing. And okay, so we do that. And uh, yeah, nothing. And so I call them over and I'm about to explain what we're going to do because, uh, you know, we're, we're going to ship gears here. My wife goes over and talks to the only guy in the tent. Oh, boy. And says, this is the conversation. She says, where are the players? The guy says, I'm a player. No, I'm just kidding. Because that's what you want at that point is 
humor. And uh, yeah, there was uh, none of that. There was just, uh, yeah, there was the tent. So we left. We went and had a great time at the Lake County Captain's Cave. You can order your food from your from your seat. Yeah, yeah. they have that in Avon as well with yeah. the crushers. It's pretty yeah. sweet. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we I love that. Sat, our tickets, uh, 12 bucks a piece, fifth row from the field. Oh, nice. Behind home plate. Nice. Okay. Fireworks. Here's a big question. Do they What's win? That? Do they win? No, not even close. I think <laughs> 10, I think it was 10 to 1. You have not seen a win. No. All the hockey nope. games you've nope. not, not a one. No, we weren't even close. My son said, I think we should cheer for the other team. I said, we might have to consider that. So that's, that's a neat stadium. That stadium is a neat cool. stadium. I like and, that place a lot. Uh, you know, I mean, the Monsters thing was a dud. I think they should alter their advertising, but we're still big Monsters fans. So, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. Can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. So there you no, go. No, that's cool. All right. Well, uh, your outcome was a lot uh, more involved than mine, but. Yeah, there's more detailed stories with yours, though. There's always something interesting. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. All right, Ken. I'm going to catch you up now with the things you really need to know that you might have missed while you were out and about. Thank you. You're welcome. It's public service that we provide here. Gas station manager fired. Apparently accidentally charged customers the wrong price for a gallon of premium gas. Oh, boy. Motorists swarmed the California station when the price for premium gas moved to 69 cents a gallon. (laughs) Oh, no. Caused a frenzy on social media. The price should have been $6.99 a gallon. Yeah. At 69 cents. That decimal is pretty important. The mistake apparently cost the station about 20 grand. Oh, my. See, I'm surprised by this because a lot of times the price on the pump changes and then the people physically have to change it on the yeah. sign. Oh, the I, poor gentleman. How do, you, how, do you, how do you not, you know, when the first person comes in and their ticket, <laughs> their, their thing is really low, how do you not catch it then? Yeah, he fat figured know. that pretty bad. That's not good. I don't know. Uh, well, yeah. A courthouse in uh, upstate New York had to be closed for fumigation after hundreds of cockroaches were released during an arraignment. Oh, gosh. Apparently, a defendant was trying to film courtroom proceedings and was told to stop. This led to an argument during which the roaches were released. One woman arrested facing charges now, including disorderly conduct and obstructing governmental administration. Maybe but she was confused when they were going to say, what are you going to do? I'm going to bug the place. <laughs> yeah, it's not probably what she, they thought she was going to do. They say, I have the bad dad jokes. You're welcome. Last week, Microsoft stopped supporting Internet Explorer, ending its 27-year run and putting it in the trash with Blackberries and dial-up modems. A Korean software engineer wanted to commemorate the occasion, so he spent more than 300 bucks on a headstone for Microsoft Internet Explorer. The stone has the E logo above the epitaph, which reads, 
It was a good tool to download other browsers. <laughs> Don't we all want to be known as that? Just a good yeah, tool. That's, that's, that's kind yeah. of what our goal is. Yep. An Indiana man took a friend fishing on the Ohio River last week. The friend caught his first blue catfish. Noted when they pulled the fish into the boat that the stomach was huge. When they got the fish home and cut it open, they figured out why. Inside the fish was a foam ball and... <clears throat> and oh, no. Toy. Oh, Adult toy, yes. Oh, Pictures of the items on Facebook, which, by the way, are not safe for work, in case you're wondering, have been shared thousands of times. You know, the one thing I noticed when I was out and about in Michigan, how blue the water is. Mm -hmm. And now I have an understanding of why maybe in Ohio it's not the same. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Adult toys. Foam balls. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yes. Okay. All right, well, uh, we'll uh, we're not going to go fishing there anytime soon, but we are going to close up this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. Ted, we have some very good news. We I think it's appropriate you're doing this particular piece of good news, by the way. Oh, I, I agree. Yeah, And this probably goes because of my, my theme of eating and drinking and golfing. Yeah. So research, researchers say men who drink one alcoholic or non-alcoholic beer a day have a more diverse set of gut microbes, which can uh -huh. reduce the risk for some diseases. Yes. <laughs> yes. Drink more, baby. Way ahead of the game. You are healthy, pal. I have a lot of gut microbes. Yeah, I'll you be do. honest with you. I yeah. can tell. The human gastrointestinal tracts are lined with trillions of microorganisms that impact a human's health. Other studies have shown that when more types of bacteria are present, people have a lower chance of developing chronic diseases like heart disease and diabetes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There, there you go. Drink your one beer a day. The heck with the guy with the push-ups and the planking. This is how you be healthy. That's right. Just you sit know, there. I made this observation to my wife the other day, I said, you know, there's all these guys running around, they work out all the time and they got that, the six pack abs, mm -hmm. you know, these little, these the little muscles, the six pack abs. I don't mess around with the six pack abs. No, I have a one pack. She was the not one pack. He was not impressed. We, we have the dad body one pack that is, yep. and we're, we're helping, we're helping cure diseases. I mean, that's our gut microbes are doing really well. There's no doubt about that. Not a dad joke. Ken, do you know what Forrest Gump's email password is? What? One Forrest One. That joke was horrible. Ken, we're coming to the end of episode 91. We're uh, closing in on the century mark here. We already passed our two-year anniversary. Yeah, we're and holding strong right now at Sam Clancy. Yeah. Sam Clancy was was the famous Brown. We're in 91. Sam so. Clancy. Holy cow. All he had to do is put his hand up a little bit. No, that was Carl Harrison. Never mind. Yeah. Sam Clancy. Put it, give him a stepladder. USFL played with Reggie White, then played for the Browns. How about that? Well, we kind of heard about my father's day. Yes. We, uh, we played putt-putt, and then we went and saw a movie that I fell asleep during. 
What? <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? Can you divulge what movie this is? Yeah, we went and saw Bad Guys. Oh, with okay. The, with the cousin with the nephew and niece. We had already that was funny. That wasn't good. No, we had already seen it once. Oh, and okay. I was a little tired, and so I just decided to close my eyes. It's a great place to fall asleep at, man. You my can hardly see your hand in the movie theater. My wife shook me at the end of the movie. She says, "You know, you fell asleep." I said, "You're darn right, I did." That was that's the. It's well worth it. Yeah. Well worth it. What about you? What did you do for Father's Day? Father's Day. Went to mass, which yeah. was great. Actually saw my old freshman football coach of San Ignatius, Marty oh and Hats off goodness. to him. So that was cool. And then uh, went to my son's basketball game. Riley's taking up basketball. Hats off to him. He's playing with a bunch of kids who have played a lot of basketball, and he played really hard. That was up in Brunswick. And then I picked the kids up and went to my brother's house in Medina where my parents were there and my uh, obviously my brother and sister-in-law and we had a great time we played a new game it's called bottle frisbee two plastic poles this is basically i guess encouraging kids to drink two plastic poles with rubber bottles on top and the idea is that you take your frisbee you throw it at the opposite pole and try to knock the bottle down and then your job on that side is to either catch the frisbee catch the bottle or catch both Hmm. So there you go. Fun times. Yeah. Who, who did you, who won? You're looking at them okay. right here. Come get some. Did yeah. You, did you play against a win or was she on your no, team? No, I played against the kids. Oh, no, I took down Riley. I took down, we actually took down Riley twice and then okay. I played against my brother. So okay. yeah. yeah, did a heck okay. of a job. Yeah, all right. I'm not usually good at those games either, so it was fun. But I did sweat through my shirt, but we'll, that we won't talk about that. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, next time on the show, Rich Swerbinski is going to join us. He is the director of the Twinsburg World Series of Wiffle Ball. Woo! Very cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's coming up in August. We're going to get details on that. And if you want to sign up a team, it's not too late. Twinsburg that, World yeah. Series of Wiffle Ball. We're not doing that, right? Uh, I don't want to. We're not going to get a team. I mean, okay. No, no. I'll support it and go, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm not playing. Well, I've heard you're an athletic supporter. (laughs) I've been for a long time. Nobody's better. Socks and jocks. (laughs) That's me. Oh, all right. Ted, thank you so much. Appreciate our guest, Judy, from uh, the Metro Parks. Uh, Outstanding information along with our friend, Dusty Sloan. And I will just want to thank everybody once again for reaching out and saying thanks and congratulations and all that. And Ted, just as a reminder, we're just two middle-aged men from Cleveland. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland is sponsored by Westminster AV, custom audio-visual packages for all occasions. Holy shucks, Ken. (laughs) 